Good morning. I want to encourage you, if you have your smartphone, to go ahead and scan that QR code that's going to come up here in just a second. Go ahead and put that up. Uh, that'll take you to the sermon notes. And I have a few Easter eggs on there if you scan that or go to mynewhope.ie and, and uh, go to the Sunday experience. If you get into that, there's a few Easter, net, Easter eggs, little surprises on, um, on that. You only, see, you only see it if you get onto uh, the sermon notes uh, online there. Want to uh, make sure everyone's aware. Come, I don't want anyone to be caught off guard. Starting next Sunday, we're going to rearrange the seating in this room. We're going to have rows, not clumps, and uh, they're still going to be a little bit spread out. We do ask that uh, every family, if, if you're sitting next to somebody that you don't hang out with, leave a couple, couple chairs between family groups. We did that before COVID, you know, because some people were sure. And other people were unsure. <laughs> We've always done that. I like a little elbow room next to me. Uh, but we're going to have seating just a little bit different next week. We will be a little closer together next week in this room. Uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, we love you. We want a place for you. And our Unity Hall will continue to uh, exist with very wide separated seating if you want to be spread out. That's a great place, and I thank the people that are over there worshiping with us right now in the Unity Hall. I was just over there with you. My people, yeah. Um, so thank you all. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, we had spring break, and, uh, and my family went down for spring break. We went down to uh, Gatlinburg area, and we went into the, what's it called, the Smoky Mountain National Park we went in there, and we did, the, we did the drive, and it was pretty cool, like paved roads. It was cool. And we went all the way through. And we looked at this little map, and it showed that there was this path. Once we got down, we could go east around the park and come back up to Gatlinburg through, through this other path of the park. I didn't want to go back through the same path I came. And it looks to be like a 10-mile trip to get through the park. And it, it was a dotted line, you know, which mean, which I looked, I looked, I know how to read a map. It was a gravel road, and I thought, I can handle this. Ten miles of a gravel road? No problem, no problem. And so we get going there. And we, we start going on this gravel road, and I'm going to take my family on an adventure in a minivan. So we're going, but this road, like, I've never quite been on anything like it. If a car was coming the other direction, we'd be in trouble. Somebody was going to be backing up. If I, like, played around on the steering wheel, we'd be going down. And it was turn back after turn back. My tires were spinning under the loose gravel. And there's, like... This is, if you've been in a national park like this, this thing's huge. It could be days before anyone would come find us. <laughs> no one would know we were missing. And my wife had the map up, and she's like, oh, no, Adam? Adam, look at this. I was like, what? She goes, this, this legend says it's a whole lot more than 10 miles. I was like, no, honey, this, it's like five miles. She's like, no, Adam. And I stopped, and I looked. As the crow flies... It was about 10 miles. But this road was doing that. And there was a little legend next to it that said the actual distance, 
the actual traveling distance between that point and that trailhead? What was it? 57 miles. <laughs> of three mile an hour. <sighs> I found a wide spot in the road and I did a, you know, you, in a road you may do a three point turnaround. I did the 14 point turnaround. <laughs> and I got out before I got further in. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Like, ah, it's just five miles. I did it down one way. It's going back. It's going to be easy. It's not going to be long. So what if it's a little gravel? No problem. But little did you know, you got 57 miles of turnbacks. Life is like that sometimes. Ups and downs, backs and forths, when you don't even expect it. The psalmist understood that. The psalmist, especially in book two, there's a main theme of grieving, lamenting. Lamenting is deeply grieving over something. And the psalmist deeply grieved over, over several things. Uh, around here, we often use the phrase, hey, how you doing? And usually it means, hey, hi, how are you? Just means Hi. That's all it really means. Hi. If you want to make someone feel really awkward, answer their question. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're shopping at JCPenney. Hey, how are you? Well, not too good. Behind on a couple, they'll just get really uncomfortable. But what if we were honest with that question? How are you doing? What if we were honest? How would our conversations at church be if we were honest to the question? How you doing? I feel like sometimes um, we, uh, we just need a little more raw honesty. In the book of Psalms, in book two, chapters whatever they were, 47 to, 42 to 72, the psalmist answers, how you doing? With raw honesty. So much rawness that I've given an unofficial title of this message today, you won't find it anywhere in your notes, but it's on mine, David God's Champion, ha, more like David God's Crybaby. He's a big whiner in book two. He complains, and he complains, and he laments, and he grieves. Don't believe the lie that the Christian never has trouble. It's, it's, it's a lie. Don't believe that if you had faith... If you just had more faith, then everything hard would disappear. That's not how it works. If that were true, why do you, th do you think we would have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations? Lamenting, grieving, hard stuff will happen. Hard stuff doesn't go away because of faith. It's actually the opposite. I'll share that in a few moments. So in Psalms, we see some areas of life that stink. We're going to, this is going to be a, Kind of a bummer of a message, the first half. I have a list of five things and then a big point and then a list of four more things. So we're going to buckle down and go through this or else we'll never get out of here. Here's my list of five things to lament. Five things to lament. Five things we should deeply grieve. Number one, evil in the world. We should deeply grieve. We should lament evil in the world. In Psalm 53, verses 2 through 4, David says this. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. 
I'm going to say this as I read it. Everyone's turned away. All have become corrupt. There's not one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? My paraphrase of that would be, ugh, evildoers. He's lamenting evil in the world. David very consistently does this over and over throughout uh, book two of Psalms. He very consistently laments over evil, wicked, lawless, the vile. Over and over again, he, he talks about it. And I think that's right. Evil, corruptness, injustice ought to bug you. Does it? Does it grieve you that people you know don't follow Jesus? Does it, does it grieve you that there are um, still people in the Batin people group that this church adopted that have not had the chance to follow Jesus? Does that grieve you? Does it grieve you that others are sinning? Or is it just, you know, it's their business? It's their business. What's, I mean, there's a truth to that. It is their business. It's their life. It's their future. But I should be grieved that there are those that are lost. Like, it should grieve me. The evil in the world, it should, I should lament over it. I should be grieved that the USA is in the top three nations of origin for human slaves today. Yet prosecution for sex trafficking in the U.S. has decreased in recent years. I should be grieved that pride has filled hearts of so many that at the highest levels of leadership in our nation, we can't get along or even value each other as humans. I should be grieved that my buddies went and watched some movie that blatantly dishonors God. It should grieve me. Not because it's my business but because that's in the generation that I'm responsible for. That's happening in my world today. God put me on the planet. God put you on the planet today as a representative to those that are alive in your generation. Your generation meaning people that are living right now. That's your generation. God put us here to represent him to them. And when they aren't following, we should be grieved, I believe, like David. So uh, lament evil in the world. Here's number two. Lament pride. David specifically lamented pride. Psalm 52, I'm sorry, 56 verse 2. David says, My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. We know in Proverbs that, uh, Proverbs says that, the, that a fool is somebody that says in their heart there is no God. I can do it on my own. That's what pride is. I don't need help. I don't need anybody to help me. I got this. I got this. Again, uh, David laments over this. Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. Wow, proud is vile. There is no one who does good. We should be grieving over self-reliance in the world around us, including our own. Here's the third thing to, to lament. We should lament, number three, your sin. Lament your sin. Don't tolerate it. It didn't, it didn't, you know, this sin didn't hurt anybody else. I didn't bring anybody else into this. We should lament over our sin. David get, gets it. Psalm 51, verses 3 through 4. By the way, I'm really sorry for anyone named David. Your heart's probably like, the whole time I'm talking about. David says this. Psalm 51, 3 and 4. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Can anybody pray that? Can David's prayer become your prayer? I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are so right in your verdict and justified when you judge. When we become aware of sin, we can't ignore it. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat. You can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. Awareness of sin is a gift. It's a gift because sin, fully grown, brings death. So when we become aware of sin, we shouldn't go, oh, why is God doing this? We should say, thank you, God. Because we can remove the splinter. We can remove the, the pain. It's like if you have a bullet wound. You ever watch the movies? You know, I got shot in my arm. You got to have somebody get, it, get the bullet out. Why? Because it's going to bring an infection. You're going to, like it hurts to get the bullet out, but you got to get it out or you die. But I think sometimes when we become aware of sin, we pretend, you know, like, like if I sin and you don't know it or you don't know it, like what, what's, it, what's it really matter? If if you can't see my sin, what's it matter? Sin is what happens between me and God. And I don't get away with it just because you don't know about it. But somehow I get this thing going on in my head that it's okay as long as nobody knows. And I can pretend like God doesn't know. I always love, love the idea of confessing. And I confess my sins to God and I tell him what I did. But it wasn't a news flash to him. David says it, Psalm 69, verse 5. You, know, you, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Your sin should be lamented. Sorrow and grief should be the result of awareness. This is healthy sorrow, healthy grief. Not condemnation, but conviction. The realization of who we really are. And it doesn't just grieve us. It shouldn't just grieve us. Sin should also does grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 talks about that. So let's run to Jesus. When we become aware of sin, let's run and take it to Jesus. And then we can say the same thing that David said. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to what? Sustain me. We'll talk about more about that in just a second. Here's the fourth thing to lament. Lament God's apparent absence. God's apparent absence. Anyone ever feel like God took a vacation? Where are you at, God? Where are you at, God? The psalmist felt like that in Psalm 69. Well, he felt like that in Psalm 43, 2. Psalm 44, verses 9 through 11. He felt like that in Psalm 42, 1. In 44, verses 23 through 24. And Psalm 63, verse 1. This is a common theme. And I'm going to read one of them. Psalm 69 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I love the illustration, the illustrative words that the psalmist is using. Can you imagine the waters coming up to your neck? And they're rising. You're about to drown. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. 
I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail. From what? My eyes fail looking for my God. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. You ever feel like that? I keep calling for God, but this thing isn't different. Where are you at, God? I woke up today and saw in the news overnight there was another mass shooting in Miami. Where were you, God? Where were you there? It's okay to grieve the apparent absence of God. It's okay to grieve that. It's okay to lament over that. The psalmist's words can become your words. Just don't believe the lie that he wasn't there. He never was not present. He's ever present. Help in trouble. That's, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's my next list. Why does God seem to be taking a break sometimes? Why does God go on vacation? It's like he's got this spring break once in a while. Proverbs gives us a clue. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. God hides just well enough that we have to seek him because he wants to be sought. He never hides so much he's unfindable by anyone, regardless of your past. He never hides so well he cannot be found, but he hides, always hides, just well enough. You got to go look for him. You got to go look for him. He wants to be pursued. All right, here's the fifth thing to lament, the fifth thing that David lamented. Number five, the terror of your thoughts. The terror of your thoughts. It's okay to lament over the words other people say. Check this out, Psalm 64, verses one through six. I find this passage very interesting. Psalm 64, hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. So he's worried about his life right now. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Now, the very next several verses we're going to look at, I want you to, to, to point out to me when he mentions something that could actually end his life. Verse 2. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked. Hide me from the plots of the evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords. He didn't say they have swords. They sharpen their tongues as swords. And they aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They're not, he's not saying, they're shooting arrows at me. He's saying, their words are like arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding in their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. They sure are, Dave. They sure are. Dave, King David was lamenting over the thoughts of other people, over the plans of other people. The idea that this only happens in grade school is not true. 
It's just not true. He says it another time. Can you do the other verse? Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My what? Thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying. I'm not distraught because they're punching me or killing me. I'm distraught because of what they're saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me with their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. These are powerful words for a guy who's upset over things other people said. These are pretty significant words. Our thoughts can truly terrorize us. You know, in grade school, we hear, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Big, fat lie. Words can hurt. They sure can. This week, my son's school had a, uh, had a field day, and I chaperoned at it, and so I just stood there and watched kids playing on a playground. And uh, this little girl came up to me, probably third or fourth grade, and she says, Molly, I don't know if it was Molly, I don't remember the names. She said, Molly said I was a wimp and stupid. And I don't know who any of these kids are, right? And so I handled it the best I knew how to do it. I just leaned down, and I said, I'm so sorry that happened. Are you stupid? She said, no. I said, are you a wimp? She said, no. And I said, then don't you believe a word of it. Then don't you believe a word of it. Don't you go on believing what she says. And if anybody else says something to you that's not true about you, you don't have to believe it. You can just ignore it. And she went, okay. <laughs> and that was that. Lord, save us from the terror of our thoughts. May we reject lies and embrace truth of who you've called us to be. Amen. Christians, like all humans, we like to live in the world of the positive, don't we? We like to walk around, big smile on our face. This is our best life right now. Hallelujah. How you doing, Brother Bob? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, Jesus on my mind. I found a new life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ding. A little sparkle of my teeth. But that's not the truth, often. I mean, if that's the truth, great. As true as all those things are, I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. Like, that's true. but I don't always feel that way. Not everything for the Christian feels great. As true as those things are, we should not lose sight of the human experience that God has given us to grow us. The Psalms is very clear. Not everything always feels great, especially for the Christian. Here's my big point in the middle. This is like a transitionary point. Faith is not a force field. We can't treat faith like a force field. We shouldn't act as though nothing can bother us because of our faith. Oh, yeah, Pastor Adam, but faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, but don't use that verse to say, because of your faith, you can have anything you want. 
In context, that verse says, if you have enough faith, you can lose everything. Check it out. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had, been, had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Let's jump down to verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If you have faith, you can have the hard times. If you have faith, you can lose everything because you have faith in something beyond what you have. That's the essence of faith. You don't have it. What do I need to have faith? Like, I don't need to have faith for this coat. I have it. It's on me. We have faith in what's not yet. We have to recognize the bad moments, the hard times in life. We can't just blow over them because if we blow over them, we miss what God wants to do with us. If you've ever been to the really high mountains, like the Rocky Mountains, nothing grows up there. Growth happens in the valleys. The growth is all in the valley. So if you want to grow, don't ignore the hard times God allows you to go through. Because the hard times is where you put down roots. The hard times... The low, the, in the valleys is where the water flows. And we can grow roots in the valley to be strong for our Lord. Yes. We, need to, we need to let God uh, into our lives when we go through the messed up times in our lives. He wants us to process the crummy stuff yes. with him. I find it encouraging, right? So I gave you a list of five things to lament over. I find it encouraging that in every one of those scripture examples, in context, if you read the other scriptures around it, it ends with a verse that puts hope in Christ. Like, oh, the world stinks. There's so much sin. God, where are you? And then it ends with a phrase like, so I will look to the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. I run to the shelter of the Most High God. I will sing of your strength, declaring your splendor all day long. These phrases are used at the end of the, of the lamentations, of the grieving. God, wh- why is this bad thing happening? But my hope is in you. But my hope is in you. So if our hope is in him, let me give you another list. Here's a list of four. Four ways God helps us. Four ways God helps us. Here's number one, with his might. He helps us with his might. Psalm 68 talks about the might of God. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. Imagine, like, these words give such imagery. May you blow them away like smoke. As wax melts before the fire. 
may the wicked perish before God. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, our God, as you have done before. My study Bible, there's a footnote under the verse about the chariots of God are thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands. There's a little footnote that said the chariots in those times were, that was like, like, that was the backbone of any military. If you had a military, you had chariots. So I like to read that verse. The tanks of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. God's got some tanks. There's no contest next to God's mighty power. None. It's not a challenge. It's not a fight. God's exhale can deal with your problem. It's never a matter. Your prayers are never a matter of can God ever. You cannot pray something that's limited by God's can. It's only a matter of will God. He doesn't do everything we ask the way we ask. But it's never a matter of can God. Okay, let's keep going. Second way God helps us, he helps us with his ever-present help in trouble. God is ever-present help in trouble. Right, but, but we lament over God's apparent absence, right? We, God seems to be gone in times of trouble, but Psalm 64, I'm sorry, 46, 1 says, Our God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So the more trouble there is, the more you know that God is present. He's there. He's there. He cares for us deeply. Psalm 68 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Does that sound like a distant God? Does that sound like a God that doesn't care too much? He daily bears our burdens. Even in the darkest moments of life, he's there. Here's the third way God helps us. He helps us by sustaining us. By sustaining us. Psalm 54, 4. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I really wish that that verse said, the Lord is the one who gets me out of every pickle I'm in. The Lord is the one that eliminates every hard thing in the world, so life is easy for me. That's not what that verse says. The Lord is the one who sustains me. It's not God's priority to pull you out of every trouble. It's his priority to keep you in it, to to keep you through it. We'll talk more about that in just a second, but but to, to sustain you. We're in it. Trouble will happen in it, in our life. And it's the Lord that can sustain us, not to keep us there, but to help us go, to keep us in the fight. How does he do it? I'm so glad you asked. He listens. He listens. Psalm 69 says, the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. He listens. You can be guaranteed that when you pray, even if it's something simple like, Lord, help, 
He hears, he hears, he listens. Here's the second way he sustains us. He provides rest. Psalm 62, 1. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Is anyone just tired? I hear that a lot. How you doing? Oh, I'm pretty tired. I'm okay. Let's allow our soul to find rest in God. And the third way he sustains us, he keeps us in the fight. He sends light and faithful care. Psalm 43 says, send me your light and faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them, the light and faithful care, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. What is light? I would say the light is is the Torah, the, the teaching. Or today, the word of God. Let your light bring me to you. And your faithful care. What's faithful care? I would say today that's the Holy Spirit of God providing faithful care. What do we need care for unless, like, like, like if you're not okay saying that hard times happen in the Christian's life, but you're okay saying God provides care for the Christian, those don't go together. God cannot provide care to the Christian unless the Christian needs it. Bad, hard things happen, right? All right. I'm coming on. So the word and the spirit are the guide to us. Here's the fourth way that God helps us by refining us through hardship. I debated where to put this one, which list this one. Is this something we should lament? Hardship? Or is this how God helps us? But because of this Bible verse, it goes in the, in the list of how God helps us. Uh, Psalm 66, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You sure this isn't a lament, Adam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads, and we went through fire and water but you brought us to a place of abundance. You helped us. You you helped us. And you used what we went through to help us. God actually helps by providing mole problems. It's not mean. At first glance, that sounds like God's a big mean, meanie pants. Come on, God, why would you do that to me? This is just understanding ourselves rightly. God does not exist for me. I exist for God. God doesn't exist for you. You exist to serve him. Now, he did something amazing because he wants to be with you forever. And he, out of his deep love for you, he, he sacrificed himself to save you so you can be with him forever. But he wants to create a more holy people. And so he will allow the hard things in our life to work together for good in our life. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What kind of carpenter doesn't use sandpaper? 
I don't know any carpenter that could make something beautiful without ever touching sandpaper or anything that would make something better when an abrasive is touched to it. If you're God's handiwork, if you're God's masterpiece, don't shake your fist at him when there's a little sandpaper. The quicker you take it to God, the quicker you run to God, the quicker you can be through it. The quicker you take it to God, the quicker you grow and become who he wants you to be. Would you stand with me? I want to tell a quick story, and then we're going to sing a song. Earlier this week, I took my daughter out for a morning, and it was raining. And I had this, it's not this one, I forgot to bring it, but it was a pink umbrella. I'll go ahead and open it. It was a pink umbrella, and she was inside the car. And I opened up the car, and it was raining, and she had her toy pink umbrella. And she was so excited to use it, that when she was inside the car, she goes, she goes, okay, daddy. She couldn't get out because of the door, right? It wasn't, she couldn't get out. I said, honey, you can't do it that way. You got to get out first. She said, no, daddy, I need my umbrella. I need my umbrella. I said, this doesn't work that way, sweetheart. You got to give me your umbrella and then take the jump and then it'll work. She goes, no, no, no. And she was fighting me. And so I just reached in and I, 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 I took it and I pulled it out and I was ready to cover her. And she's inside the car and rain is starting to hit her. And she's got to jump over the curb and get on the curb before I can get this over her head because of the car door. And she says, Daddy, cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me. I had to say, no, honey, I can't. Not until you take a jump. Not until you take a jump. And she goes, okay. And she jumped. And then I could cover her. And the umbrella could cover her. Today, I encourage you to look to Jesus. Take your jump and you'll get covered. When you're in the hard time in your life and you're lamenting something to the Lord, you're grieving something to the Lord, take your jump of faith, then you get covered. God, why is this stuff happening? Step in faith, church. Step in faith. Trust the Lord. He brought you where he brought you so far. He's not going to let you down now. We have to recognize that God is working with us even when the junk is falling on us. That's God wanting to grow us. We have to recognize those moments so we can step into faith and trust and therefore grow. It's great to always look at the positive side, but if you pretend to always be living on a mountaintop, you're going to miss what God is trying to do in your life. A modern psalmist helps us look to God in these dark moments with these words. Creation knows the voice that's spoken to the void. The breath that brought the dust to life and sang the stars to form. The darkness. Anybody deal with some darkness in your life? The darkness fears the voice that drove it back before. And though the night is long, darkness lasts. Hard times last. Although the night is long, I know your light will drive it back once more. As we sing this song together, let's put our faith and trust in our Savior. Lord, we trust you. You are King, and we look to you today.